Welcome to Never Strays France. Thanks, David. Is that you welcoming me? It's a bit weird, but okay. Well, it's the well, you just you it, turned it? and looked at me <laughs> kind in of, a kind of welcoming way. I'm, I'm just, just looking for affirmation. Yes, yeah, 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 that's yeah. the name of the show. Yeah, Never Strays France is the commercial bit. Is our podcast? It's and, ours. and it's brought to you by Melinda My Chapter Apples. Three. Oh no, yeah, and your the road, road book. book. Yeah. Chapter Three is my brand, uh, and we make cycling apparel. And also uh, loads of other things for your cycling lifestyle. We've recently relaunched with uh, new apparel, our own design, developed, manufactured. And we would love you to come to chapter3.com and check it out. We're hearing that our bib shorts are some of the best, if not the best, that anybody's ever used. Now, we'd like to offer you an enticement to get there. If you spend over £50 on chapter3.com, you will receive a free musette and inside a surprise gift. Go to chapter3.com and check out... Well, actually, don't do this at the checkout because this is the bit that I get wrong. (laughs) Just go to the show notes and click on the bit where it says, click here to go to chapter3.com and you will get the instructions. But come check out chapter3.com because I'd love you to see the new stuff we're doing. We're really proud of it. And honestly, it will improve your cycling life. Fantastic. I'm wearing, um, I'm wearing chapter three socks. Right now that you gave me. They're great. They're brilliant. Um, well, uh, the, the roadbook is, uh, basically the thing that you've got to notice about the roadbook is 15% off everything that we sell, which isn't just books. You'll be amazed to see if you go to theroadbook.co.uk. We've got some other bits and pieces and big plans for the future. Um, but the Never Strays France listeners, Get 15% off whatever they want. TDF 15. And if you do order uh, uh, something, you get a complimentary red musette. I well done, Ned. That so was very, very good, good as well. But, but the more, more, also more to the point, um, you can get, if you join the Roadbook Society, um, which is basically, I'll be totally honest, a data grab operation because we want to stay in touch with our customers. Yeah. Um, and we will not bombard you with anything that isn't really quite useful and yeah. entertaining. I think um, people should also understand that the Roadbook is just a phenomenal piece of work. It's all right. It's, yeah, I'm very uh, proud of it. It is very much the almanac of recent cycling history. Yeah. Um, but but if you join the Robic Society during the Tour de France, you can download my audiobook of how Cav won the green jersey that I wrote in 2011. Ten years on, is it going to happen again? How are they going to do this, Ned? Join the Robic Society. Okay, good. So just go to Robic Society and put the click click in. Simple they go and sign up. Simple. Bonus. Right. Nice. Let's do. Let's do the. Let's do. That was the commercial bit. Let's do the editorial bit. Yeah. I've I've taken with me this morning. I have got a um jingle. Oh yes. Uh, yeah. Let's do the jingle. As I was saying before you interrupted me with Perry's amazing jingle, thank you very much, Perry. Mm. Um, th- this is the running order. Do you want to have oh, a yeah, look I'd love to see it? the running order. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. You're very professional. Yeah. You're a, well, that was you're a proper that was broadcaster. No, that was the last oh, one. Oh, right. So yeah. literally, so the, the running order is a blank piece of paper. Completely blank sheet of paper. Because this morning, David, I have not had the time. It's been hectic. I know it's a rest day, but we need to bang this out early doors. Yeah. Really early doors to get it out to our, our regular uh, podcast subscribers. So this morning, I haven't got a faintest idea how we're going to do this. I know that we've pre-recorded a couple of amazing segments and we have we have there is a i know one of them because i can remember it from two days ago was we recorded our ride home with pete kenya oh that was brilliant wasn't it sure we'll come back to that but what was the other bit we did oh it was yesterday it was was yesterday in commentary um Oh, it was just a cul-de-sac we went down. Oh, uh, you and, and a, your, quite yeah. a familiar. No, we went down. It mm. was quite a familiar cul-de-sac. 
I've been, or I went down. Yeah. That and I, it's often, and it was kind of taken in one of the, the breaks, because there are commercial breaks on ITV, because it's a free-to-view channel. Yeah. So there has to be commercial breaks. And often... Should we could talk about that a bit? Should we talk yeah, about we that? Yeah, we should a talk bit? about that a bit. Let's because, talk about that now. Yeah. Commercial breaks. Commercial breaks. So this ITV4 takes a lot of flack, and rightfully so, because people aren't really accustomed to, to commercial breaks now. Yet it's the only Tour, tour de France viewing that's free. And that's, it's doesn't, it comes at a price. Yeah, I mean, that, that's literally true. And I'm not going to sit here and say that commercial breaks aren't frustrating for the viewer, but they pay for the coverage. End yeah. of, you know, and, and uh, if the BBC ever showed the faintest interest in signing up the Tour de France rights, which they've not exhibited, you might be able to watch it for free, except you wouldn't be watching it for free because you're, you're, paying, a, you're paying a license. So mm. ITV operate in this, um, you know, they operate in this commercial twilight world, really, of um, scrunched on both sides by state broadcasters mm. with license fees and, you know, the increasing world of subscription television and streaming. Uh, but but you'll be pleased to know the Tour de France on ITV4 is, is alive and healthy. And mm. man, it's been a long-standing mm. thing now, isn't and it? And I think also it's worth pointing out to people because uh, our director, James, who's, who's taken over from the, the great Steve Doherty, one of their jobs is to position the brakes where there's minimal risk of the race exploding which in normal editions of the race is difficult but mostly achievable predictable mostly mostly predictable in the 2021 edition of the race has been borderline impossible at times there's just and he actually took it on the chin he was very brave a couple of days ago and went 45 minutes without a break in the final hour just to make sure the racing was in because we couldn't find a window which um which is against the rules yeah so itv commercial who sell the advertising spaces um will 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 want to know the reason for that Mm. And uh, he'll be reprimanded. Yeah. And he can't do it. Well, no, he's done it twice so yeah. far um, in the first week of coverage because it's been that. So it hasn't been flawless. I'd accept, you know, mm. from time to time we've tripped up. Um, I think the Mura de Britannia stage was probably yeah. a good example. But an honest mistake uh, was made. I, th- I think we've tried in the live coverage at least to kind of explain what we're trying to do. So yeah. if you are watching in the live coverage and you see a kind of frustrating sequence in 20, 25 minutes of a succession of of commercial mm. breaks. The reason for that is you're getting them out of the way. Yeah. You, there's a certain number you have to take in an hour. And, um, and that's the reason. And what you're doing then is so that you can have a big uninterrupted yeah. run of coverage. And normally you can trust 95% that you're going to miss nothing because that has been calculated for that moment uh, with much stress and trepidation to, to get it out at the right time. Yeah, uh, that's very much the case. And also in the highlights show, which I know probably more of you watch than the the live show, actually. But in the highlights show, you'll see a similar phenomenon. So the the first part will be fairly long with Gary setting the race up. And then the middle two sections of normally, normally the less interesting part of the racing will be relatively short. Mm. And if you look at the final sort of rush of of coverage, plus all the analysis and all the wrapping up that Gary does and and Daniel do so well at the end, that's quite a long part. So that's Mm. the way commercial breaks work they are and i've noticed actually james has started doing something to me he'll ask me about an hour out or so or an hour and a half out from the race finish david yeah how long have we got left (laughs) (laughs) and i do my bike racing completely pulled from thin air calculation on how long the race has got left and it's uh that's a bit of a gamble as well but normally it's within three or four minutes miraculously Yes, indeed. Um, we've had also, we've had some communication moving oh, good. on, moving Let's on. We've had we're to our, at our email address, which by L- dint of being good at the internet, as I've listener already said. engagement. Yeah. What do you think the internet um, email address is for the show, David? Uh, how I 
won the yellow jersey. H I T jumper. H I T W. No, wrong. H I W T Y J. 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 Yeah. You want to drop the show a line? Just go to H I W T Y J at gmail.com and we'll be picking up occasionally the emails. I've just read one actually from Giles Stoko, who's um, sent us quite a lengthy um, analysis of his various rides up uh, Mont Ventoux, which I know that, you know, uh, many of you have will have done and um, we've done in fact mm. so thank you very much Giles he says keep up the good work enjoying the combo of highlight shows and a variety of podcasts this year I especially enjoy hearing ex-riders you David being allowed to be a little less guarded than the TV coverage will allow Ooh. well it's kind of the point actually yeah. of podcasts isn't it I, I was quite unguarded yesterday wasn't it on with regards to Ineos Grenadiers but anyway we'll come to that yeah well we'll come to that we'll, come, we'll probably forget to come to that we'll forget to that completely we'll forget to come to that yeah um that was from Giles Stoker. On the subject of riding up Mont Ventoux, because we've got Mont Ventoux in the week to come, haven't we? Um, we have the, the, the doubles, the doubles, the double passing of it. Yes. So they go over now. They, the first time they go up, they go up from Sault. Okay. Up the long, yeah. shallow one. Yeah. In a way, but, not dissimilar to yesterday's climb up to Tigne, right? Similar sort of length, 20 something. I'm this, I have not got a roadbook in front of me. Yeah. So, so that's the, that's, I've done that. That gets steep at the end. It's got a long. S- well, it comes, well, goes the ski station is because, um, the road from So eventually comes out onto, uh, to Chalet Renard. Okay. So that's that. I've never done that one. So you dropped it. No, I don't think I've ridden that one. You go up from, I've wrong, gone yeah. down it, but I've never gone up it. So you go up uh, from So and then it, and then yeah. you, you join the main road, so to speak, at Chalet Renard. Okay. So yeah. you've got the, the final, is it? Oh, that's seven? all right. That's not so bad. Well, it's quite quite hard. It depends how it's race. It's not like going the backside and then the two steep sides. So then they drop over and they drop down. The t- so then they've got the final, is it 7K from Chalet now to the top? Yes. Something like that, yeah, right? something like that. They're pretty hard, those kilometres. <laughs> drop over the top. Grippy. Grippy. Uh, drop over the top. Drop down to Malusen. And then, and then they come round over that other climb, which is called something or other. Uh, and they get to Bedouin. And then they go up the conventional climb all got the way. You. The beast. Um, and that, but then they go over the top. And finishing Malasen. Mm. Um, this is very kind of, we're way ahead of what we normally do here, talking about the race that far ahead. Yeah, I know. We haven't wrapped up because we're going to have to do a bit of a review of the stage. leave one to and well. come back to that. Well, I just wanted to say, that climb up from Bedouin over the top, uh, to Chalet Renard over the top and um, and down towards Malasen, I, I did that in a variety of vehicles. Mm, you have on a on a memorable and historic day in the Tour de France. It was fresh Froome crash day, Froome run day. It was yes, it was the day because it was so there were the the wind storms that basically they closed off the top four Ks and they finished just beyond Chalet Renard. Twenty sixteen, it's Froome Froome yeah. run day, and they put barriers up everywhere and they were getting blown over and yeah. different things. And yeah, you had the bit, you had a slight, you had the arse that morning for some reason. You had the you had the grumps on. I was on a, I was on, I woke up on the wrong side of bed. Yeah, you did because normally it was like we'd be like ding, let's go and ride, especially yeah. like let's go and ride up Mont Ventoux on our Bromptons. Yeah, because it was that that was our our youthful exuberance, wasn't it? It was quite a long time ago, yeah. yeah. You were and in so, your 30s. I was in my 30s and I was still quite getting, I could get fit quite easily. It was still had the residual 18-year professional cycling bits and bobs left in my body. Yeah. and, my, and Mitochondria. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Muscle memory, but actually just probably eight kilos less yeah. than I have now. But um, 
what was interesting because then I was like, you know what, Ned, you do it, you yeah. do it, you do it. You want to do it so much. I did want to do it so much. And, one, one, so, and at the time, it was when I was working with Maserati, so I had our, our huge white Maserati. Come prima, beauty prima, Which is like a speedboat. And stupidly, and I guess because I was in a huff, I wasn't thinking clearly because I was just annoyed at everything. But I had got in touch with Alistair Campbell and some friends with Alistair Campbell, and I was going to go and visit him. And I looked at the map and didn't really think about it and thought, you know, it's probably better for me to drop you off at the bottom and then just drive over and then drop down and see Alistair because he lived on the other side. Yeah, but then you were going to pick me up as well. I can't remember why. Yeah, I can't remember why. I think the reason was... Because I'm kind. Very kind. You also had a f- Maserati, so yeah. it kind of might have been a pleasurable thing to do. Mm-hmm. But also, um, the race finished at Chalet Renard, so that was the finish line. So I think I'd said, I'll ride to Chalet Renard. And then maybe yeah. you could pick me up from there. And yeah. we'll go over the top in the car. This was because it. You That's couldn't, right. They weren't letting people ride over the top yeah. because it was a million mile an hour wind. So they, closed it, hour wind. so they closed it off to public vehicles, but there were still... Accredited vehicles. Accredited people vehicles. And there were like tens and tens of thousands of people on the mountain. Yeah. Tens and tens of thousands. And all those so, people who'd... Gone and populated the top yeah. seven yeah, kilometers of the climb. They come down, so it so concentration. further. Yeah. So I dropped you off, and I was like, oh, I'll just rattle up the climb, because that's what you can normally do. And it just ended up being, my huff just got amplified by a thousand percent, because there are all the fans just riding up on their bikes all the at, at like eight k's an hour, and yeah. I couldn't get through anything. Then I'm in a big white Maserati, and everyone's <laughs> just like, wait, and then it's like, oh, don't be dog, and it was just... <laughs> And I was, it took me an hour and a half or something to just get to the top. Yeah. To then drop down and it turned into an absolute disaster. And then I was getting angry at you because I was like, why does Navy want to do this? It's just a stupid thing it's to do. It's just a anyway. stupid thing to do. Yeah. And so I just the whole it. day. Escalated. And so I'm having this blissful day. And then eventually, I can't remember where, but you, I think I kind of, I can't, I literally can't remember the details, but I eventually, I'd achieved my target. I got to Chalet Renard and mm. Brompton. And then finally, somewhere on the mountain, I found you in the big white speedboat. And, um, jumped in and you were in a foul mood and he said right let's tank it over the top so we went right. right over the top of Mont Ventoux no, no time to sort of like step out and take pictures or do anything no. it was an amazing occasion uh, over the top and then we're dropping down towards Malascent for those who know on the north side of the mountain mm. and we're kind of like we just got off the climb haven't we and we're hitting the kind of rolling mm. terrain on the road you know about 15k from Malascent mm. or something like that and you, you you get a message from you can't pull over and get a message from Alistair Campbell because he's got a house down there, mm. who's invited you to lunch, mm. or, or, yeah. or, or just a, to pull, a, drop a, by, have a coffee, drop yeah. by, have a coffee, um, and you literally said, oh, "Alistair Campbell, you better you better ride for me because I'm turning off," <laughs> and, I, and it was over. It was done in about twenty seconds. I was out on my own with a folding bike, <laughs> having just ridden up to, up Mont Ventoux. Mm. I'm now faced with like a battle to get to the finish line where because the, the TV compound was at Malasen that day. But it wasn't like I was say, wasn't saying you couldn't come with me. It's just because you you're such a professional broadcaster you wanted to be there. It was because I couldn't before. come with you, David. This is a long time ago. Even now, I doubt I'd be in the Maserati going into Alistair Campbell's But you house. wouldn't have liked it anyway. No, I wouldn't have liked it. That was the reason But do well. you know what I liked even less? What? Having to ride the Brompton into a howling gale of a headwind <laughs> against the clock. <laughs> So yeah, so one two, one of yeah. the many stories, and there's yeah. many, many more we can talk about when yeah. it comes to that day or past. Well, I'm sure the other thing that will get an airing is whether or not the 
the name Von Two has anything to do with Von Wind. I, th- I thought we'd concluded it's not. Well, I've concluded it is, but I, uh, you know, I floated it. It's too simple. I don't think anyone knows. I think that's the thing. There are no. competing theories, but it well, is too simplistic. Yeah. It's too simplistic. I don't believe it for a second. Yeah. I think it's named after a, a, a Gaulish god. There you go. That makes much more sense to me, oddly. Yeah. 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 Um, but I'll look, I'll look into that again and see if I can find the definitive answer. There probably isn't one. That's very good. Um, what else should we talk about, Ned? Well, it's the rest day. Um, it's the morning of the rest day. We're up dead early, working. Again. Again, doing another podcast. Inoxorably. In, in. Oh yeah, that was yesterday. Did you get that? So that's going out today in tonight's that's going out show, today, isn't it? Tonight's show is uh, Miller's Tale. I don't think they call it that anymore. I've lost the branding that, ability. It, it really blows my mind that you have words that you stumble over like that. that well, you, you know, I. So this is an interesting one. I remember reading this uh, years ago because, obviously, in my twenties, teens, and twenties, I read hundreds of books, and I didn't do higher education, and lived in France majority of the time when I was reading all those books. So you're I, an autodidact. I'm an autodidact, and so. A lot of these words I know and I understand the meaning, but I've never actually had to speak them out loud. And so then I come across them and I see them, I know exactly what it means, but then I have to say it out loud and I stumble because I suddenly realize I've never said it before. And and I remember reading something somewhere once and they said, never laugh at somebody who stumbles over a word. It's probably just because they've never actually been able to use it. And mm. yeah, so it's that kind of one where I've, it's always wonderful words I know, but... I, I I stumbled on again in commentary yesterday, Herculean. You've done it. You've got it now. I yeah, think you're Herculean. over that. I think over I'm that. over that hurdle. Yeah. But I've got a lot of words like that that I I recognise. I know. I understand. I I want to bring into my vocabulary. But then occasionally I'm like, oh, or I say it, and I get it. It's just I've just made up the intonation because I've never actually used it in conversation <laughs> before. <laughs> so I had that today with indefatigable. Indefe- that's it. You got it. Indefatigable. That, was, you've done it. Now that's go. it. I, I think it's launched. In, and then I was indefatigable, is how I was saying Indefatigable. Indefatigable. You make it yeah. harder for yourself. And then indefatigable. You got then, it into the fat. Then inexorably. I was in, inexorably. Inexorably. Well, that's just weird. That's what just were you weird. Thinking? I don't know. I just wasn't thinking. So inexorably. So anyway, I'm learning. Tour de France for me, I've learned three new words that I can say out loud. Yeah. So that's but, good. But, you know, also cycling commentary, because it's basically a French sport. Mm. is um, there is a temptation to turn English words into French words it's as well. It's very easy to do. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you speak competitivity. French. Competitivity. Yeah. Um, no, so competitivity. Aggressivity. <laughs> That's not an English word. No, aggression. Agressi- uh, is it even a word in French? Agress- agress- Aggressive. Aggressive. It might not be. Aggressivity. No, I think it might be aggression. But I don't know, actually. That's a good question. But, Interesting. But combativ- is combativity a word in the English language? No, but it should be. It's a great word. Or is it combativeness? Combative, which is hard to spell, hard it's to like, say. It's like a crap version of yeah. combative. Yeah. Combative. And then there are words that we say on the understanding that people just know what we mean, like peloton, but peloton. everyone, Music. no one can Swanya. spell it, but everyone, yeah. yeah. Echelon. Echelon and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But what about bonifications? That's Sean another word. tricky one. And yeah, bonifications. Bonifications. Bonifica- bonifications. 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 <laughs> And there's Time also, bonuses. there's another... But so you see, the, but ASO yeah. don't know what to talk, call that either. No. Because they, they've they called these bonifications, the yellow yeah. square, they've called them bonus points. Yes, it just doesn't sound good, Well, it's it? not even accurate, is it? They're not points. No, they're Nothing sec- about them are points. No. They're seconds. Yeah. So, so the, bonus second Bonifications. Preems. No, it's so not preems. No, that's, that's another word, but I'm saying oh, it's preems. Oh, preems, yeah. Yeah. They're kind of se- preem seconds. 
But yeah, and because I always and I do it if I'm to talk about if we're doing work on the mountains jersey, it's I don't know how to call the mountains jersey because it's Mia Klemper best climber mountains classification King of the mountains points. King of the mountains points yeah so you just kind of say that I don't know that's another one that kind of leaves me a little bit confused always yeah green jersey polka dot jersey yeah. mountains jersey mountains jersey best climber polka dot jersey <laughs> combativity <laughs> combativity the prix de la combativity yeah so yeah there you go the confusion of cycling parts right. um the 2021 tour de france has been over for a couple of days i think mm-hmm. we can all agree on that we'll come to that but let's rewind because i think where we left off and i don't um, think we should agree on that I mean, well, just contrive to fall out over it or have a disagreement. No, because what do you actually disagree? Anything can happen. You can crash. I mean, that's all there's left. Yeah, but that's to, all that can happen. That's all that can happen. <laughs> all that can happen is that he crashes. It's uh, or it's, he comes down, or he comes down with some un, un force de nature, un, un force majeure, un force majeure, or that he, or that something happens to him along the lines of um, he gets one of those kind of debilitating. Illnesses that used to affect riders but don't seem to. Ah, le, le jour sans. Yeah, or no, or day just without. pneumonia. We were, talk, we were talking about this the other day, how yeah. um, now riders are a little bit less weedy looking. <laughs> they don't seem to get pneumonia or an upset stomach as much as they used to. Judging by the changes of apparel in yesterday's stage, everybody is hypervigilant. There was so much going on. And the, so the tech is so much better now, regards yeah. apparel. Yeah. But at the same time, and I think there's probably a, a vigilance. When you see the riders doing their post-race interviews, they're in these amazing jackets, and they're not just got a towel wrapped around their neck and their kind of yeah. their jersey, which used to be a thing. Put a towel around your neck yeah. and tuck it in do. to your jersey. Yeah, and it's like no, probably not enough. You need a ski jacket because uh, one of the reasons for that is when you finish a stage like any day in these big mountain days, and especially when it's cold, your immune system is suppressed up to 75, 80%. Oh, there you go. Is that so, a fact? So it's not, you don't, ca- that's a fact. So you don't catch, anchored. Anchored, anchored, because it's not because you just catch a cold. The cold's always existing. It's like, it's always around everywhere. Yep. But if after when your body's that fatigued, your immune system suppresses, and so you're much more susceptible to catching something. And, and does so that, and actually this is quite scientific. Yeah. It may be that you're just floating a bit of science here. But no. You may, no. So, but the, the actual kind of like, so the curve of your immune system does that ebb and flow during the course of a, a day so are you mm, or is that just point. over the piece over the three weeks or, or well, i think as as men uh, i know more about men than i do women you, your testosterone is at the highest in the morning and you wake up your cortisol levels are lowest or they're, they're i think they're lowest in the morning as well so your testosterone's up cortisol's down your immune system's active you're rested basically you've slept your body's kind of reset as a day goes on everything starts suppressing That's exactly how i feel right now david yeah you're buggered but no, you, I feel reset by the good night's sleep I've just had. No, but you're still bugger because you're back. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, it's true. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it's that that or that's something that people used to say. Oh, it's, it's, you don't just catch a cold because you're cold, which is true. You catch a cold because your immune system's suppressed. Yeah. And if you're going to race 200 kilometers in the rain, or yesterday 150 kilometers, 140 kilometers in the rain and the cold uh, on stage nine of what's mm-hmm. been intense, your body's just battling itself just to stay operational yeah and one of the things that does get suppressed is your immune system oh, I didn't know so that. that's why you uh, catch cold yeah you catch cold yeah Which i'll, is, I'll yeah. never forget you know and um andorra in 2009 on the andorra stage mm. where wiggins had a great ride 
finished in the group of, with Contador and Armstrong and people. Mm. And it was the first kind of, you know, flickerings, inklings. He was your teammate on that race, wasn't I he? I led him into the corner. Yeah. On what corner? On the bottom left, the sharp left going into that climb. Well, okay, brilliant. So you led mm. him into the bottom of the corner. That was good. Yeah. Did a lot of work. 16 kilometres from the finish line. That was my job. And then what, the, and then what did you do after oh, that? I parked it. <laughs> that was my job as well. <laughs> Well done, David. Yeah, but he did, a, he did a great ride. And um, I remember he finished in that group. And, and he, then he had to kind of ride through the finish line. And up, little, I can almost envisage it about 100 metres further on. And then sharp left and into kind of one of those horrible mountaintop kind of red earth gravelly car parks where the team buses hadn't made it up there. But there was a, there was a Garmin team car there. Mm. And uh, it was locked. Uh-oh. And there was no one around. Uh oh. And he was being chased by us, plus another bunch of reporters. So Ooh. there was this, like, he let one of those ludicrous, kind of like Keystone cops rider trying to ride away from press, kind of Benny Hill moments. Mm. And he got up there and he couldn't get into the, he couldn't get anything, couldn't get, didn't have a phone on him, obviously. You know, didn't know where anyone was. And he was all on his own, surrounded by us. His, uh, like humor, his humor was suppressed. Oh, mate. He had a humor suppression. It was kicking yeah. the car and all this sort of thing. Yeah. But that ties back to what you were saying about how back in the day, it was just a towel around the neck and mm. a can of Coke and good luck. Yeah. Don't turn the aircon on your rooms because you'll catch cold. Because you catch a cold. Don't put the window down in the car. And so there's, cold. There's, yeah. Well, that, we've spoken about this before, how your team was actually quite, quite... Uh, pioneering initially and then you all lost interest yeah. <laughs> we just got bored <laughs> bored of yeah, being scientific yeah. we're all just too creative yeah so yeah so but anyway so we've started talking about yesterday's stage maybe a bit early because let's just jump through you don't have to do it in great detail mm. but mm. if anything interesting springs to mind David tell me about the individual time trial ah. uh, that was won by Tadej Borgarchar Borgarchar um, Mathieu van der Poel uh, he's only second time on a time trial bike this year amazing and he he was fiddling with his bike well as the the Chinese whispers go till midnight they had wheels brought in Matt Rendellero told a very convoluted story but a wonderful story about how it was a wonderful story but it lasted quite a long time quite a long time lots yep. of details that yep. perhaps weren't necessary to the narrative yet uh, so the whole bike was a whole new thing and I uh, he genuinely from from what we've heard since he was going into that time trial convinced he was going to get crushed and he finished fifth and that and there was one thing with that, and if you watch it, and any cyclist who's ridden a bike fast before, the way he was cornering on that bike, it was just beautiful. He did that. There was that sharp, almost 180 degree, with a double apex. Yep. And he just nailed it. It was such a beautiful curve around the whole thing with a bike, like at 60 degrees, 50, almost at 45 degrees going around there. And you don't do that on a TT bike. Mm. And it was just watching on a TT bike, he looked beautiful. And it just goes to show just how skillful he is. So that was a ride that I thought was exceptional. I think it was, for him, everything after that was a bonus because he was going into that time trial convinced he was going to lose Jersey by a long way. He's a beautiful man, isn't he? He's, I, he's, he's um, He almost seems unnatural. He seems like Rutger Howe from Blade Runner. Yeah, 
a little yeah, bit. A little bit like that. Like he's, replicant. It's like, how do you create but, the perfect but, cyclist? But, yes, exactly. Yeah. But I've really, it's really been fascinating to watch him. He's, I mean, he's, he's left the race now. Yeah. Um, but even how he left the race yesterday, he, he turned up to all the pre-racing. He signed on. It, it, it signed on. To say in, goodbye. In all his full kit. Amazing. And was incredibly courteous and respectful to the race and his team and the fans and the press and the organization. Absolutely. And was completely honest. And, and I was struck because, as I think we've spoken about before, sometimes when we're not broadcasting, we're watching France 2, we're watching French television. Um, and he was giving an interview before the race started to France Television in perfect French. Yeah. And um, of course he speaks perfect French. His mother, Corinne, is mm. French. Mm. She is Raymond Pouledou's daughter. He's half French. Um, he's <laughs> half French. But that bit of the narrative that we've been banging on about for ages because of the the homage to Pouledou and, mm. the, and the yellow jersey kind of um, came to life for me in the moment that I sat there yeah. listening to, to this wonderful kid who speaks, obviously, uh, Dutch. He speaks beautiful English, probably mm. a couple of other languages besides, mm. but also happens to be bilingual in French. And I thought, oh no, it's for real. This isn't a, this isn't a made-up story, is it? Yeah. He is Raymond Pouledou's grandson. Yeah. It's, uh, it's ah. been, the, I think it's, it will now, as ever happens at the Tour de France, it, that dissipates that story. It won't be forgotten because it's such a great story. But this is the amazing thing about the Tour de France because you had that time trial, kept it. Then the next day you had Mark Cavendish. Do I mean, it. Tour de France does this. It's your five minutes of fame are five minutes. Yeah. I mean, even for Mathieu van der Poel, we've moved on. Um, I, 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 will, I will never forget, David, on my first tour in 2003, deep into the race, the stage into Marseille won in a two-up sprint between Danish rider from CSC, Jacob Pil, and an Italian rider whose name I've forgotten. I only remember Jacob Pil because he won it. Yeah. But it was a day where you lot had literally sat up and given them 15 minutes or something okay. uh, back in the bunch. Um, and as they as you came along and they, they turned left, they realized they had 15 minutes mm. to play with. So as they approached the final couple of K, um, they shook hands. Uh, it was lovely. beautiful, yeah. And they shook hands and then they had a track sprint. Yeah. And Jacob Pil, who's not won anything of great significance before, mm. nothing afterwards, yeah. won the stage. Uh, that's amazing. And uh, 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 because there was nothing else to focus on, no one wanted to talk to the loser. I can't even remember his name. See, I literally yeah, can't yeah, remember yeah. his name. But Jakob Peel, because we had, we had 15 minutes to wait until Lance Armstrong and the rest of you lot came in. Um, w- there was nothing else to do for the, re- for the Those entire Those are the days when that happened. So we had a proper yeah. scrum um, all about Jakob Peel. And I ended up asking him the first question. I, it was the most stupid. Well, it wasn't a question. I just said, you won. <laughs> to him. And anyway, so we got our sandbites from Jakob Peel. And but the th- I don't think I've ever seen such a whirlwind of cameras and things like that mm. for this anonymous Danish rider ever before or since. At the really, tour. it was immense because it was he was literally the only person to talk to. <laughs> um, and then the very next day, the very next day, I was waiting late in an evening to interview Jan Ulrich unsuccessfully because he never spoke to me. Mm. Um, and uh, you speak German? I know. I was so snubbed. Gutted. I was so snubbed. But I was waiting at his hotel, and CSC happened to be in the same hotel mm. as T-Mobile. And this guy, this, this young, tiny-looking rider, walked past me and kind of nodded in recognition at me. And I nodded back, didn't have a clue who he was. And then I thought about it, and he walked past me. And 30, 30 seconds later, I went, oh, yes, yeah, Jakob Pil. Oh, wow. Uh, 24 hours later, yeah. completely, whoosh, just I'd raised the hard drive, and we'd all moved on. Just slipped back into the masses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the Tour de France right there. But if there's one person that's kind of not slipping back into the masses, it's Mark Cavendish. It's well, that. was it the next day after the time trial? Yeah, it was Chateau number Roux. two, wasn't it? Chateau, Roux. Chateau Roux. His first ever 
win. And what was amazing about that was it was Mark Cavendish's back. Uh, in the way he rode it, he flipped his train, decided not to go with Merku, jumped with the the, the Alperson Fenix riders, dominated them, and did his literally mimicked almost to precision his very original salute, knowing there could be that social media meme, how it started, how it yep. ended, and kind of because it's literally it's oh a, he would have totally thought yeah, that through yeah, yeah, how it, it started, how it, how it ended. ended, yeah. And what was amazing about that as well. That was great because it's like, okay, Mark Hamilton is really back. And even in the post-race interview, Merku, he says, Merku said, he's really back. He's really back. But then he did his post-race interview. And, and he was he, really back. It was aggro. Yeah. And he was the first thing he was saying, they move the finish line each time. And it's like this. And that's so critiquing proper, French teams. They had a proper ASO. He just went off. And it was like, oh my God, he's really back. Because yeah. it's known, it's just back to his just pushing people's buttons everywhere <laughs> and the confidence is there and it's uh it was a joy to watch but it's it's amazing how he refuses to to leave stage left yeah we yeah. spoke about it didn't we? i can't remember whether we spoke about it on yeah. the itv pod don't think we spoke about it on this yeah. pod because mm. we haven't podded since his first victory but mm. now we know he's won two yeah when he's on 32 and the mercs record is the the, the, the record that cannot don't be, say his name don't, don't say his name <laughs> don't say his name i know you're gonna but don't <laughs> I don't know where that accent's gone. It's quite good though, wasn't it? It's quite good, yeah. Um, uh, but now it has become... Uh, and also, by the way, yesterday, Tim Malia off the race. Oh, it's... Uh, I mean, we're Tim joking. Tim Malia abandoned. Arnaud Demar didn't mm. make the cut, nor yeah. did Brian Cocard. Not that I don't think Brian Cocard was mm. going to win a stage, but yeah. all the sprinters are dropping away. There's something to be said for his, his persistence and just his self-belief does mean that he has made himself last man standing. And through, and this is why he's got 32 stages because he never gives up. Yeah, uh, they come and go. The greats come and go. They do these things. Mark Cavendish refuses to go, and yeah. they just and now they're just falling apart around him. Everybody, and it's a perfect storm. Uh, but it's a perfect storm. I, I dare I say that he's created himself. But that, that was our discussion that I uh, that I couldn't remember whether we'd actually because mm. we live in this extraordinary uh, three weeks of our lives where. Most of what we say gets recorded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even, so when, I, even when we're not aware. Even when I'm dreaming. Yeah. By the way, I had a dream oh, a couple of nights oh, ago. I'm I need to tell you about that. Yeah. But, um, but uh, <laughs> it's only a fragment of a dream. So it might be quite difficult for you. It might really challenge your mm. psychotherapy skills. Um, but uh, yes, no. So the thing that I can't remember whether we recorded or not was, I think we all agree that should should the actual project come to the most astonishing fulfillment should he win in Nîmes mm. should he win in Carcassonne should he then you know somehow survive the, the Pyrenees and make it to Paris and win on the Champs-Élysées that would be win number 35 and he would have uh, then surpassed the Merck's record mm. now what we all fervently wish on his behalf I think is that he would go that's it thank you very much and goodbye good night yeah. goodbye yeah. It's been fun while it lasted. I'm out. And literally not pin a number on ever again. Yeah. That would be the greatest ever comeback. But to to win be win on the Champs-Élysées, uh, take the Mercs, uh, the, the record we're talking about is Eddie Mercs, the, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. He has 34 Tour de France stage wins to his name. Something like 16 were in time trials. Yeah. I so think. there you go. So he's got, mm. he had his area of expertise amongst yeah. lots of them. But if he... If he enters, if he starts Paris, it becomes the. Actually, what's happened in the last few days, the Mark Cavendish story is becoming possibly the 
the narrative of this year's Tour de France. Well, you always have to temper that with the kind of the the, the, the filter through which we see it broadcasting to a British audience. Oh, I don't think. But so, I think though. he transcends. You know, I think yeah, people I, are invested in him across the world. I genuinely don't think it's just British because actually it's probably the British public that are the least aware. Uh, the respect he'll be well, getting in, also true. in in Belgium, in France, in the Netherlands, in Spain, in Italy, in Switzerland. When he lived in Corata and yeah. won the points jersey that year, yeah. his in the central square, the the, the 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 big cafe there had been kind of like just decked out, and it became the Cavendish Cafe yeah. for for a month. You know, yeah, it doesn't surprise me, and I think that's it's it's immense. It's nigh on impossible to imagine anyone beating any of Merckx's records because they're they're just so extraordinary it's and he's on the cusp and so i think it's but if he was to do it and then wins in the champs-elysees takes the 35th stage gets a Merck's record the romantic end to this pixar disney beautiful film is him getting up there and saying thank you i'm done the more realistic end is that he signs for RKO Samsic next year <laughs> to replace Nassim Hawaii. 18 million euros. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, but there is a double side to that. The reason he's here now doing that is because he loves it. He loves racing so much. Yeah. He loves the sport. He loves, he loves the sport. Uh, the winning we've seen the last few years, he perseveres when he's not winning because he loves it because he wants to do it. And if he's back to his best, he'll want to keep doing it because it's his favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, apart his children, his family. And, yeah. But I think he, he, it's love. And I can't see why he would stop because it's, and he's intelligent enough to know, to recognize that and know he'll want to do more of it yeah. because, because it's just what he does. Yeah. 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 So I, we from the outside would love that mic drop moment, but for Mark Cavendish, it would be one of the greatest surprise. And I've known him for 20 years or so, 15 years. If he does it, uh, it will be the biggest shock and that, which would make it cool. Because yeah. it would be like, whoa, that is cool. Because you've had to take a step outside of yourself to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. But let's see. Who knows? I can't predict the future. No. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly can't. Uh, the next day was the, was the day of the vans, wasn't it? It was van van attack. Yeah. So just going back to the time trial. Um, amazing time trial by Mathieu van der Poel. Amazing time trial by Wout van Aert. They finished after 30, 31 minutes of racing within one second of each other. Um, and they'd been exactly the same through the first time check, one second apart to the finish. And that they've been doing that for 15 years in every single cycling discipline they do. And it's just, I find that mind boggling when you look at the science of sport to go that they just always there. And then on Friday, the longest stage of the Tour de France, they again were the ones ripping it up. Yep. And, uh, it was pretty impressive to watch. They ended up neutralizing the race to a certain degree because everyone was watching them. Yep. But at the same time, oh, it, brilliant. Was, it was just, uh, it was pretty cool because they're two, they've been racing since they were 12 against each other. Yeah. The only person that can beat Mathieu van der Poel is Wout van Aert. The only person that can beat Wout van Aert is Mathieu. But, but, yeah. No, 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 but I mean, in, since oh, yeah. they're, they're in their 15 years of oh, racing Oh, I see, in the other, long history. Since yeah. they were yeah, 12, yeah. 10, 11 racing cyclocross, yeah. they turn up to every race and it was like, oh, Wout van Aert's here, Mathieu van der Poel's here. They're going to be racing against each other. Yep. And it was always that first second, first second, first second, first second for 15 years. Yeah. And now they're in, in the biggest race in cycling and they're one, two, one, two, one, two, matching each other. It's, it's something, there's something quite lovely about that. Yeah. I think it was that night actually that I had my dream. Oh, what was the dream? The night after that stage. 
Well, it is, and it is only just a fragment of a dream. But I used to tour, and I'm hoping next year to tour again in theatres. Right? And some of the theatres are wonderful, like the Richmond Theatre and the Salford Lowry and Harrogate. This, this Harrogate, yeah. The, the, the Leeds, the City Varieties, mm. place I love to go back to. Leamington Spires, a grand theatre there. The Addison Theatre in Southport. Anyway, I'm going to all those places Scarborough. again. Scarborough. Going to all those places again in 2022 with a show that as is yet totally unwritten i've no idea what it's going to be about um but occasionally occasionally in the early years of my, my theater my kind of one-man tour about cycling the theater producers have have, have booked um have booked relatively small uh, venues and one of them was called the exmouth Pav- pavilion right and i think this dream i think this dream was actually uh set in the exmouth pavilion david which was not really a theatre, to be perfectly honest. It's just this kind of seaside little, you know, there's no raked, raked seating, just flat. Like okay. that, with a little kind of almost temporary looking stage. And a kind you of said this is a audience. snippet of a dream. You just, you were just appeared in the theatre. I'm just setting, no, I'm just setting the okay, scene. Good. Okay. So I think it was based in the Exmouth Pavilion. Okay. It's a tiny little kind of like, um, like uh, it's got plaster kind of like arch and there's a little stage like that. And you and I were sitting in the front row watching a show and the show that we were watching was the Tour de France, right? But we could only see... They, they built a set, which was like a mountain, and we could see these riders descending in pairs. Just You could see them just coming oh, wow. down, almost like from the sky, you know, like that, and then they'd disappear. They'd straight away exit stage left. Another pair would exit so stage like, left. So like that Poe art with the mountain. Exactly like yeah. that. But we could just see them just rattling yeah. across stage, yeah. like that rattling across stage. And then it became apparent to me that the audience was kind of waiting for us to from the front row to start well, I suppose essentially start commentating but the, the, the dream was then abruptly I know where this is going yeah you know? I think you've, you've figured it out yourself haven't you well wait till you hear the punchline yeah. before I woke up yeah oh no why did I even embark on this <laughs> oh no this is so obvious but just at the point where it dawned on me that something was expected of us I realised that I was um as you tend to do if you, you're rooming in a hotel for any length of time, mm. I was wandering around just having had a shower. I just had a towel wrapped around me and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> and then I woke up. Oh, no. I'm afraid so. So, self-analyze. I think I had an imposter dream. Yeah. I think it's imposter syndrome. It's come back. It's come back. Why has it come back? I don't know, David. It's come back. So just to break this down, so so we we were watching the show. Yep. And but, but because at first that's we, we were just spectators. That's what I mean, but we were watching the show, so we're, we're spectators. But we do that every day, so that could be confusing because that's what we do. That's our job. Yep. We're broadcasters. And then there was a realization that we are not just part of the audience. We are the show. Yep. And... Well, well. Yeah. It, in the sense that actually we're supposed to be on this stage yeah. talking to the audience and you look down and realise you were in a towel. I'm in a towel? <laughs> and then you were You were up. fully dressed. I was fully dressed. I was ready. And I was stripped to the waist just with a towel? Maybe this also means you. there could also be a more positive side to it that you're really comfortable in that situation. No, I'm not, I'm not the kind of alpha male that... Pete Kenny used to room with a certain rider who won't be named, mm. who, who Pete was telling us used to. No, 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 I'm not saying to wander that, around his room as naked because it's had kind not of. Not in a name. literal sense, right? Or an actual. Not, sense. Oh, oh, sorry, I was being too literal. Yeah, you're being yeah, too literal sorry. in the sense that you were just comfortable watching it. 
you felt like you were part of the audience and it, you felt at home and it was you yeah. were enjoying it and yeah yeah and so there is a kind of you could go either way and say you're such a fan of what you do that you're part of the audience yet sometimes you forget you've got yeah. to get up on stage i think that's and, it and do the show once again i think the, the humiliating thing about this dream is that i have a very straightforward psyche mm. i look for hidden depths david mm. they aren't there mm. and this is what i'm yeah. dealing with at the moment right let's crack on with the tour de france right so we've got to, the next day dylan turns one and we know all about that shall we just interrupt with how what we do at the end of every day well this was our ride back after dylan turns one <laughs> we just jumped over his greatest achievement <laughs> uh, because much more importantly uh, this is how we get back to the hotel ned where are we we're in the car park. We're all on our bikes. Pete Kenning's joined us. And what we're going to do is, um, I don't know if this is going to be of any interest whatsoever to our listeners, but w- given the f- nonsense we've talked down the years, I think we'll get away with it. But basically, we're going to kind of narrate the almost completely unremarkable commutes that we have <laughs> back back from our studios in Maidstone to our hotel that we're staying at. What, what do you think the distance is, Pete? Two and a half K. It feels like 20 <laughs> every day, doesn't it? I mean, we've got so many obstacles along the way. It's technical. Oh. <laughs> Let's go. This is soup. This is the first obstacle. We're not out of the car park yet. We're approaching some automatic gates, and they've opened. Oh, they open. oh, never open. Yeah, that's because of, of oh, the, uh, legend. Yeah, well, that's legend. just. So, if the gates don't miraculously open, when approaching the gates, you have to slow down and pretend you are a car. By being a car, I mean get off your bike, put it sideways. Almost bash your bike down twice really hard on the big sensor and then after that drag it back towards yourself. Almost creating like a tire like pressure on the sensor. And that that technique was developed by Pete Kenyuk in twenty twenty. It's known as the Kenyuk te- technique now. It's brilliant. Phase one complete. So we're just passing Tesco's on the right and about to enter into a, a mini downhill, probably about two hundred meters long. There's a mini roundabout, and normally, Pete hammers it down here on his Pinarello Dogma F12 in trainers, swings out, turns to the right. Here we go. This is the moment. Oh, coming through leg out and through the corner. Oh, and yet cars. And this is what Pete likes to call the highlight of his day, because it's the only time he gets an endorphin hit. And... There you go. So that was the little race moment, but you should see it. And it's to paint, back. it's coming back. It's yeah. coming back. We've pegged him back. But what Pete does is on that mini descent, he then tends to swing right out onto the right-hand side of the road, use the whole road, then take the apex, and goes in at reckless speed. And two times out of three, a car's coming the other way in the country lane. How was it, Pete? You have to be on the front in that corner. Go from this wide boulevard road in left straight into what is like all I can describe as a Belgium lane and it's critical part of the ride home. So this is the section we come out of that country lane where you have to go through a little path, it's a dead end. We end up on a principal road again. Normally uh, somebody shouts clear. Clear! Slowing! Pole! Now Ned comes by me now. This is what Ned tends to do, because Pete's always ahead. 
He carries the speed from the Flandrian corner, what we refer to as Pete's corner. They are now watching each other, Pete swinging around the road, both backpacks. He's gone around the other side of the traffic island. He's trying to do this. Ned on his absolute banger of a bike, sitting down, power, Jan Ulrich style, trying to hunt down Pete. And we're coming up towards the railway bridge and they're going to go under. Let's see, the road's clear. They're good. Now, what's technical about this section is they're going to come around. There you go. Now we're about to hit the little uphill and this is like a mini... Oh, we're entering Bastard. Pass the sign. We're indifferent to the sign. That's not what they're chasing. I can see them in the forefront. There they are, side by side. They've slowed down. It's gone to tactical. But I tend to just stay back here. And I'm out of breath. So I'll go back to this. I'm about 75 metres behind them now. They're coming to a near standstill. I think Ned may have forgotten that Pete was an Olympic gold medalist on the velodrome. Pete goes! Pete's gone. He's caught Ned out. Ned is overgeared, as ever. Ned tries his little heart out. But the conclusion is inevitable. Pete is going to crest the hill first. Okay, back on. Just coming by Bearstead train station. On the left, going into a heavy wooded section. The last glimpse I had of the two of them was Ned actually caught and passed Pete. Now it's a drop down shaded fast section, but the technical bit is you have to pull a very sharp right into the pub called the White Horse. Oh, Ned overshot it, Ned overshot it. Ned, what happened? What happened? I took the win. He did. He's actually going pretty well. It was technical, it got a bit cagey, didn't it? It was a bit of a track sprint. Situation standoff. I, I needed to be on your wheel. <laughs> Made the mistake the last two nights. Went too early, he gets me over the top of the climb, and then once you hit the downhill, it's an immediate sprint, there's no coming back. And um, he's actually going pretty well. How Eight. far are we from the studio now, guys? 500 meters. <laughs> Maybe 1.5k, I think. Probably good. Nice. Alright, refreshments. So we've now set off, we're just riding by the cricket green of Bearstead by phases in the race where we've had the intermediate sprint yeah everything's regrouped a little bit it's after the feed zone it's after the feed zone and um, we know what's ahead don't we we do it's the muir the muir of Bearstead it's also oddly quiet because it's the England game tonight and there's no cars normally we're dicing with death here true it's busy isn't it normally so yeah we're just uh, moving out single line cars parked on the side of the road but uh, now there has been a truce being made because normally we set off and hit the final climb. Well, I mean, th- this is a really strange climb, isn't it? It is. It's, um, in, what, how, do you, how long would you say it is? Let's, let's ask Pete. How, describe this climb. It's like a mini Meurthe de Bretagne. They're only 300 metres long, but halfway up you realise the severity of it. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, What's the maximum gradient, David? about four and a half percent. <laughs> Pete's launched. Pete's launched. He's in the launch pad. There's a little little ramp, micro descent. Ned is on my wheel. Pete is disappearing into the distance. Oh, he's looking over his shoulder. He's looking over his shoulder. Ned's going. 
some naivety from me there because I felt him just drop off my wheel a little bit just before he attacked. Not only that, but he also shouted, this is a little launch pad, this. Hole! There, the top is in sight. Pete's out the saddle. Go, Ned. Ned's dropped. Ned's dropped. All right. This is my moment. Okay, go. Sit down one hand. I'm going for it. No! I gotta get... We did it. See, as Maurizio Fondrius once told me, no matter how fast you go at the beginning, you have to be fast at the end. I got it. So we're here. Ned's now just rolling up now. Here he is. Uh, I, well, I'd say I did, but I think Pete gave me a bit of a gift. Mm, yeah, slightly unfair given the bikes that were on. But it was it's a technical running, isn't it? After the after the final climb, a little bit. Yeah, come onto the main road. <laughs> Sharp left, ninety degrees. Again, goal. straight again, right, <laughs> and then it's about fifty meters to the line. I mean, the Pete. To be fair to Pete, he's a bit like Wat Van Aert. He's competing on GC and at the intermediate sprints, and he's just pulled up a bit short in both. The only comparison ta- ever. I'll take that. <laughs> I mean, Dave, you've you've won the race overall. I invested too heavily in the early part of the race, didn't I? You know, I took the points, but then that was me done. Um, the bamboo. How many k's were done, Pete? Two point six. Thing is, David, about that, and I think we can both. It's the first time I discussed this with you, but we can both reflect on that. I hesitate to call it a race, but it was. It was. It was. A, yeah. Well, it, there is there are certain competitive elements in it. Yeah. And um, they're, they're they're condensed to within nine minutes yes but there's a whole race within 2.6 kilometers but the 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 chastening thing i think that we both have to deal with and recognize you're how old 40 44 44 i'm 51 Mm. 52 fairly soon actually Mm. and pete's how old 31 30 maybe i'm saying 32 i I think you're right i think it's 32 this is his third year with us but here's the point right he was on a 30 ish he was on a pinarello dogma f12 he was on a Pinarello Dogma F12, and um, I beat him at the intermediate sprint, and you beat him at the sprint at the finish line. Mm. But I'm on my Chapter 3 vehicle. And you were on a tractor. Bike. You've got tractor tyres on as well. Yeah, I've got gravel, big, like... I mean, w- really big ones. WTB not little, 42, yeah, oh, huge. just like... Yeah. Right. So how did that happen? But also, how did that I, I was having has to... He, has he thrown, will, has he thrown the race? A little bit. Yeah. But I think there was also the fact that I was, I was holding the recording device... And I was trying to, what you'll hear towards the end, I'm trying to click gears with one hand. So we were literally going flat out trying to get into it. But he also knew I had the inside line and I was one-handed. And he knew that if he tried to go, because I would probably not give up and we crash. Yeah. So that's the screaming. Yeah. In that bit. Oh, I see. Because it was, he knew I was, I was in. Yeah. And he had to, he could have gone by at any moment, but he knew if he went went by i was probably going to die from him also the problematic thing about both the sprints actually the intermediate sprint and the f- sprint for the mm. finish line is that we didn't know where the line was <laughs> yeah <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't preordained yeah. no, so no. it was kind of gentleman's agreement almost like a bit like playing down ball was that yeah. in or out yeah. oh let's down play a let we weren't, weren't going to play a let though because no. we couldn't have He's done very that. competitive 
Yeah. So, but yeah, so that's how, uh, that's how we do it. We get back and it does often, you two generally race more than we do. Well, you're on a tractor. You're riding a tractor. Yeah. True. Um, I, um, so which brings us to yesterday's stage where Pogacar, you know, uh, well, the previous day, the turns day, that was quite significant in the general classification, but we oh, you know, didn't you mention Pogacar's just running a mop. Yeah, well, everyone knows that because they've listened yeah, to the, you know, yeah, they won't be true. Pogacar, you know, won the Tour de France on the Dylan Turns day and, um, Merci. and did a bit more winning of the Tour de France mm. on Ben O'Connor day, which was yesterday. Yeah, Ben O'Connor. So I actually, I'll put this link as well in in the notes. So you always say that, and you never do. I will this time. Yeah, because I don't know how to do that on the internet. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it for you. Okay, thanks. Um, I met Ben O'Connor on a random ride in 2018. I was out in Toronto, and and then yeah, yeah. How come you only telling me that now? Well, because I forgot about it, and then it's remembered when he did it. So I just posted it now, and then got in touch with him. He wrote words to it. So we did this two kind of two way dialogue between me and him, and. Uh, which is a lovely story and I'll put that in the show notes. But I was, I guess, kind of invested in that because I've met him once and he was lovely and, and the emotional side came out of me. So towards the end and it, he really was doing such an amazing race. You and let the emotional side get the, the emotional side in my professional broadcasting. No, fair enough. But you only you're only yeah. mirroring what a lot of people were thinking yeah. and feeling, I think. And so towards the end, he was doing such a, a like that, that whole first nine stages has been a remarkable ride uh, and a very lovely way he was doing it. But he was, and it was almost like UAE were, were comfortable with him doing it. They were fine. They, they were satisfied. And actually, but what got more interesting was Ben O'Connor was burning through the whole of UAE. Yeah. He'd frazzled them. They yeah. couldn't bring him back. So there was no kind of control. The only person who could have brought Ben O'Connor back was Tari Pogaccia. And with about three or four cases ago, Ineos Grenadiers got on the front and it was quite, it didn't, it seemed like what a small team would do. Mm. They were protecting a podium place. Mm. And I, I know a lot of them in there and I got a huge amount. I've always backed that team, but it just felt, oh, not, no, don't do that. It felt like Ineos Grenadiers, don't do that. You're better than this. You've been talking about an aggressive race, being off the front, changing the race, expect the unexpected, do these crazy things. And that doesn't belong to that set of of values. That doesn't belong to that. You don't get get to the end of the race and defend a podium position and shut down and shut down an exploit and shut down an exploit and then actually help the leader of the race because they then control the race because Tali Pogaccio had run out of teammates. Ines Grenadiers coming on because they could see UAE run out of riders. They came on the front and started shutting down Ben (laughs) O'Connor and then they literally just gave... Tadi Pogacar, three more teammates. And he used them to his advantage. And then, So this is really funny because last night we recorded the ITV podcast, yeah. by which time you'd finished commentating and mm. you'd lost a bit of your um, uh, outrage about this and yeah. actually gone, oh, well, on reflection, they probably did the right thing yeah. and I understand why they did mm. it and it was the professional thing mm. to do. But now this morning, you're telling me the outrage is back a bit. You're talking uh, yourself yeah. up. You're working I've, yourself I've, up. I've again. slept on it. And I just kind of, and I just think, oh, let it go for today. It's it, and that's literally in that sense. Let it go for today, guys. You talked about an aggressive race. Don't go and do a French team move or a, a Kazakh. Even Astana never did it. Astana had more reason to shut down Ben O'Connor, and they had at one point three riders they with Lutsenko in the podium places. Yeah, and they had lots. Of, there were lots of other teams that could have done what Ineos Grenadiers did, and it felt like the beginning of the decline and fall of Ineos Grenadiers. Ooh, when they did that move. 
because it's not a big team move and the flack they're going to take in France, the flack they're going to take within the peloton for doing that. It was just, and, but there's a positive to it. Garen Thomas did an amazing ride. The fact he was even there to do it when at the beginning of the stage, it seemed like he was going to, he didn't even know why he was there. So the individual performances are amazing and Geraint especially and Carapaz trying, but as the ethos of that team, it felt just, oh guys, you're so much better than that. And so it was just, and that, that again is personal investment because okay. I really respect them. And so that's what it was. Before all of that came to an end, um, there was a commercial break, wasn't there? Some random point oh, yes. in today's uh, in, in today's proceedings, in which I I, um, I got confused about hydroelectric power and how it's generated. Oh, this has been a conundrum for you for many years. Competition. So a battle is brewing up nicely on the Col du Pré between Quintana and Woods for the polka dot jersey. Take the break, David. Pete. Pete's been weighing in on the whole. Um, how do you build a dam thing? It's just, have you seen that? No. So during that last party, he just sent us a WhatsApp message. Oh, tunnel. Yeah, he said, so he sent us like tunnel. Like, <laughs> the, first, the first message just read tunnel. Tunnel. Right? So, so this goes back just to dear listeners. Um, it's been going on for two or three years. We often get helicopter shots of reservoirs and dams. And it has been this uh, amazing conundrum and I'd say traumatic mental uh, kind of experience for Ned trying to work out how a dam is built. Ned, do you want to try and explain oh, it? Or, or... First of all, I want to contextualise what you've just said because yes, you've 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 introed the theme, but also down the years, all you've done is ridiculed me. Let's let's say, okay, there's no other way of putting it. You've ridiculed me for not understanding how dams are made, and yet at the same time, you've not once provided an actual proper bona fide method engineering methodology that produces dams. So just the other day, we had this um, in our little commentators book about the Genesia dam. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Can I just go back? Because <laughs> remember the first time we confronted this two years ago? Yeah. And you couldn't work out how they built the dam because you thought the water had always been there. No, oh, come on. No, you did. And you were like, so what, do they take the water out first and then build the dam? And But you literally couldn't work out. You thought, that the dam had split like a lake in half. No, that's that's no, no. That's how you interpreted my confusion. I never once said that. I might have thought it, but I certainly didn't say it. <laughs> right. And then I then I educated Ned that no, normally the reservoir, the the body of water that the dam holds back, was created by the dam. It wasn't the dam came first, then it filled up. You couldn't that that was the first hurdle you had to get over. You thought the water had always been there and they built a dam and that that was the first cluster okay. you dealt with. In order to build a massive dam you have to remove the water completely because you can't build a dam with a river. No, but that's the point. You don't remove the water. There's a there's been a river, there's a water flow that they stop and then like uh, filling uh, up uh, a bath. Uh, uh, uh. Right, stop stop right there. We're, two seconds. Should we turn that round, James? Yeah, we'll do that. Okay. Um Stop right there, because you've just said you, you stop the river. How do you stop the river? Well, you, you either divert it. How, how do you divert it? Um, what do you build? What would you build in order to divert it? What would, what would you call a well, construction go... that stops a river? What, how would a, you call it? A dam. No, but I'm not saying, so this so, is your next so, one. You thought you just need lots of little dams going so, further back. So you're telling me that in order to build a dam... You have to build a dam. No, or you divert the you river. You Storm divert the river. <laughs> no, yeah, you have to. Well, you have to di- divert. Dam, that, not by means of a dam. Well, no, redirect it. That's what a diversion is. So the water well, flow continues. Nicely to go somewhere else. Yeah, you could go further upstream and divert it somewhere with, else. With a small dam. 
Of sorts, yes. Okay. <laughs> but in order to in order to divert that, so in order to build that little dam, maybe you need to build an even smaller dam a little bit further up where the river's smaller. And then one to, in order to build that one, a little tiny teeny one fit further up. So it's the infinite dams and lots of little reservoirs going down. I can't see any other way of building dams. Or you could, well, then Pete came in with the idea that maybe there's a tunnel. Yeah, I don't understand that. Do you? So, well, you could do a tunnel. So you build a dam over the river and then you block it. That's the last bit you block. Yes, James. So you're like putting a plug in. All right, I've got to go back to comms. Hang on. Not interested. Okay. Yeah. We'll ask the question. Back to the race. Not interested anymore. Well, we we kind of um Dams. we got as you can tell we got distracted by our day job. And we had to abort the dam discussion and go back to go back to business. So an entire commercial work was basically wasted and we reached no conclusions that mm. are, are satisfactory to me. So I want um, those hydroelectric engineers in our listenership, and I'm damn sure they're there, uh, to send us an audio explanation mm. to h-i-y-t-y-j at gmail.com and, and, and explain even- how you build a dam without building a dam. But I don't don't narrow that field to hydroelectric engineers. Just dam builders would be good. Yeah, not dam busters, dam builders. Dam builders. Anybody yeah. who's got any knowledge of dam building, it would be great to to understand a bit more bit more about that. Okay, so we lots of our um, listeners are incredibly uh, intelligent and enlightened people. Andy um, sent us sent us a play, or at least the first scene of a play. David, Oof. I haven't shown you this yet, have I? No. The play is called The Four Podocasters. Podaka, so it's like oh, I'll show you. play on the word pogacha. I don't know. Pog- it's like musketeers, but podcasters. Pod- oh, pod- oh with a hint of pogacha in it. So podcasters. The four podcasters. A, pl- a short play by Andy. <clears throat> the main cast of char- and cast and characters are Ned Bolton, a deceptively young-looking commentator. What does that mean? Does it mean I'm older than I look, You're or young. I look younger? That's deceptively young because you, you look I'm, young, but you're old. <laughs> well so. known for his Deptford cycling tours side hustle. That's true. Uh, Davide Miller, tall, in brackets too tall. Mm. I think we can, all, uh, we can all agree with that. Well, certainly Pete, Pete and I can. Pete Kenyon, <laughs> a slight in stature, <clears throat> in brackets, but enormously well-paid co-presenter. The only resident of the Isle of Wight to, won, uh, to have won an Olympic, I tried my best medal. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Uh, Matt, extraordinary rendition. <laughs> That's very good. A cycling uber brain raised in a white haze filled childhood, white haze filled childhood by Colombian gangs and saved only by the UK stroke Bolivian Prisoner Exchange Scheme Act of 1982. And uh, the minor characters are Gaza Imlate, the sound sensitive main man. But who is he really and where did he come from? And Christian Bora man. An older version of Kenyan, but with a much higher cycling speed to words ratio. Scene one, and there is only scene one because scene two, scene, two is, <laughs> scene, scene two is to follow. Right, the setting. A small tired hut in Kent, just behind a cutting edge high tech football studio. <laughs> Which, by the way, we found out. Yeah. This is amazing, but yeah. true. The set, I'm not talking about the production or the staff, let alone the rights which are eye-watering to the football, literally the set on which the footballers, ex-footballers, the pundits, and the presenter, Mark Pugac, sits for ITV's football coverage, we found out costs more than the entire 
ITV Tour de France production. Fact. I'll leave that there. Uh, the door is ajar. Inside sits a greying man, head in hands, futilely trying to craft a script for the evening show and growing increasingly exasperated by the irregular but frequent thud of a small ball hitting the metal walls around him. Gaza. For Sagan's sake, will you guys just give it a rest? Ned David A. Pete, outside playing a child's game, <laughs> sheepishly moved to one side whilst giggling and shouting as they do so. Ned David A. Pete, all together. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> Gaza continues in silence and produces an immaculate poetry of words to summarise the day's racing, but with frequent wistful glances to the open door, wishing that one day he too would also be invited to play with the others. Oh, Sounds like one of my dreams. Scene two to follow. Thank you very much, Andy. And the final contribution um, that I just want to throw into the mix here, because it's rather wonderful, is from Jim Bridgman. Bonjour, Ned and David. Thank you, as ever, for the Never Strays France uh, podcast. I listened to the Giro edition. It was a great addition uh, to following the race, so I'm so glad you're able to blah, blah, blah. Very nice things. Thank you very much. Um, I found myself writing haiku reviews of the stages while watching the daily highlights on ITV4. So here are some of the first six stages, actually with a bonus one for stage six, and an audio for stage six. I thought recording all of them might have been a bit pretentious. Uh, In case you needed some filler for the pod, and you didn't get anything better. Well, we didn't get anything better. But I, I love a haiku. And we love a haiku. Um, so this is uh, Jim Bridgman. Uh, and it's just his recording from the stage six haiku that he wrote. Stage six. He surfs fortune's wheel. Flitting slipstreams for victory. Strike familiar pose. Chateau by chateau... Past glories revived. Cav wins. Just don't mention Merck's. Ay, Marique, Marique, je t'aimais tant entre les tours de Bruges. Any other business, David? And thanks, Jim, for that. No, I think we've been probably covered. It's been all mostly other business, hasn't it? No, it's been mostly cycling. Has it? That's fine. A little bit. Kind of. It's, it's, It's... weaved its way through it cycling and held it together it's kind of hard because we are we are doing a lot of talking at the moment for Mm. various podcasts and and commentary commentating and i haven't picked up a book have you no i got i i've got one but i kind of got a quarter i need to finish it this evening for what are you reading ah it's pretty complex actually um i have to look it up and find you Uh, uh, it's a a german-born korean philosopher i knew it would be (laughs) <laughs> and it's called the burnout you've decided this is a little bit of casual reading post stage it's, it's called the burnout society and it's amazing it's about the kind of how we've fallen into this it, our whole being at the moment is based on achievement and goals and it's never you know, ending pursuit stuff like that don't you yeah, kind I find of sociology or kind of yeah you know what you call yeah, it just kind of I'm contemporary. fascinated by it because I'm, I'm searching still trying to figure out my head so yeah yeah but it's, it's it's really interesting so i kind of found a lot in it that immediately i was connecting to because it's like you just keep trying to do more stuff when maybe you don't have to and, well yeah. i mean i'm impressed that you've been able to do that i can't fill my head at the moment with anything mm. other than all the nonsense i'm involved in mm. at the moment and and because we're not on the journey it's kind of hard to stray like a lot of the yeah. the farfalle content was born of my ridiculous journeys wasn't it yeah and like you know yeah it's true you know um uh, suffice to say, uh, you know, we're running in and around a loop near the hotel mm. um, in Kent. Having said that, I have to say, 
there's something and we're, we're staying very near a little village called Beersted, which is kind of yeah. Be, Be, but how do you pronounce it? Beersted. Be- I just said Beersted in oh, my yes, more literal sense. I think yeah. you're probably right. And um, as far as Kent villages go, it's pretty picturesque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I ran past there this morning doing incrementally greater and greater damage to my back fool which is really sore actually um but uh yeah and um actually i ran i ran around on sunday and um uh i went past st peter's church just as they were ringing the bells mm. and they ring the bells it's only a little village really quite loudly for quite a long time but beautiful sound mm. and it's a very picturesque church um but i did slightly feel for the people who bought the houses right next to it now become you, you 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 become immunized to it oh really do you yeah, think i've done it i've lived in villages with massively loud church bells. yeah you just your power of the brain you eventually but it did make it me think it made me think because that it was quite close to when it was sunday and it was quite close to where the mass was you mm. know i think it was half past nine or something and mass was about to start at 10 and they flung the doors open and put big signs out saying church open everyone welcome didn't see a soul going in there that's sad you know, I my, wonder how many people actually go to churches and villages like that. But you know, a church is really important. My father-in-law and mother, I spoke to my wife, they would just been to an evening uh, service in Rock. And often I think people associate church with the Bible. And obviously that's clearly an important part, but a lot of it's just social interaction and having the same, speaking with different people about something that's got purpose. So I think it's it's quite, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that's very sad if we lose it and we should, perhaps start to think of it as something different it's i agree and i i agree entirely and this may forgive me be something i've already said on our podcast down the years but i, I every time i go to into churches as i did throughout the our journey around the giro d'italia and when i went to girona um i couldn't get inside the cathedral um but looking at it every day from the outside mm. it struck me more and more that um and that was such a hodgepodge of centuries and different architecture mm. wasn't it that the complexity of Christian, uh, let's just stick with Christian architecture mm. is the only thing I have the faintest idea mm. about. Um, the complexity of kind of Christian architecture inside and outside churches is honestly so obscure mm. and um, rich and hard to explain that actually, even as a secular person like mm. I am, you can go in there and you can just say, okay, this is this is the mystery mm. because I might be a secular person. I don't ascribe, ascribe any of this to, to a deity, but I sure as hell don't understand it. Yeah. And I'm sitting in a building that reflects mm. our bewilderment at the human condition. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>